profit is necessary to provide quality service. I don't throw darts at a board. I bet on sure things. Read Sun Tzu, The Art of War. Every battle is won before it's ever fought. Think about it. And we are back with another solo episode coming straight from the gut. Today, I'm going to unpack an idea, a concept that I hold dear, that I believe in with all of my heart. It is more or less the essence of what I have chosen to stake my professional career upon. It's something that I didn't always see clearly, something that I didn't always believe in. I've felt my way through it, and over time, it's come into focus, and it's something that I've really got a lot of conviction about. The idea could be summed up in three words, own the outcome, or OTO. Own the outcome is a philosophy that advocates for owning the outcome and the delivery of the end state that your consumer or your client is paying you for. That's it. It's simple. Now let's go ahead and unpack it. For me, that could look like when a client comes to me, and actually this is, this is what happened. I'll, I guess I'll give the backstory on how I kind of came to this, seeing it progress over time in my own mind. When I first started out, I started a company called Manage My Property. We're slinging leads, owner leads specifically for people to close. And the feedback that we would get consistently is, oh, the leads are no good. The leads are good. The leads are weak, to quote Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Seemed like reasonable feedback. Looked into it further, started to actually care enough to look, right? For me to own the outcome of delivering the, the lead would be not for me just to send the lead or to know that person is actually qualified, but for the consumer to get the end state, which is a signed client under management that is actually paying the PM each month. So for me to own that, I had to audit these objections as to whether or not the leads were actually working, started to look into it, started to uh, understand more about the full sales cycle. So we send off the lead. Who was this person that filled out the form? Were they qualified? What happened when that lead was actually handed to the PM? Who was following up? How soon? How often? How frequently? And under what conditions? As I dug deeper, what became apparent to me was that the follow-up function for small businesses was somewhere between anemic and non-existent. So the next idea in this progression of the thought of how can I own the outcome was, hey, you know what, we'll build a CRM to help them close the leads, help them with the follow-up process. And so we did it. And initially, the CRM only did one thing. When you got a new lead, the system would call you, you'd pick up the phone, and you'd press one to then connect you with that lead so that your response time was somewhere under 30 seconds. And that was really impactful. And the, the CRM lead simple kind of came from there. Over time, I started, instead of just sending the leads, get, got into the big picture of the sales outcome. So I'm giving a lot of presentations on sales training, uh, closing techniques, marketing, positioning, anything related to growth in general. And I would get a lot of good feedback, right? I mean, it's an exciting topic. There's always going to be universal interest around growth. Very few people are not going to say yes to that, that that's something that they're interested in. However, it came with the realization over time 
that while a lot of folks were interested in hearing about it, there was a pretty wide gap between folks that were actually implementing and taking it home. There was a lot of voyeurism, a lot of growth voyeurism per se. So in order to take it to the next level, I figured, hey, you know what? We should take this education from a one-off webinar to something that feels like it has more weight, significance, more, more, more of a movement behind it, started PM Grow doing professional education, bringing in best-in-class, world-class speakers, people that could address the issue far better than I could. Try as I might, I wasn't quite going to be able to cut it when contrasted or compared against a Marcus Sheridan or a Joey Coleman, and rightfully so, because I respected the problem and I was committed to the outcome. I was willing to bring other people into the conversation. Did that. Have the conference. Talking about growth. It's exciting. Great feedback. Well, if you really think about owning the outcome, what do people want? They want the lead, they want the client, or they want something more than that. My sense at the time was that people didn't just want clients. They wanted a profitable business, which was a proxy for freedom. Ultimately, entrepreneurs are after freedom. This is the only breed of people that are willing to work 80 hours a week to avoid working 40 hours a week. So as we thought about what was actually going to allow them to get to that outcome of freedom, profit came front and center. You can have high growth. You can be crushing it with leads. But if you're not actually making money, and this insight came out of the fact that after the first PM grow, we hosted a mastermind to, to wade deeper into the specific business model of our clients, broke down a bunch of companies' books, had Greg Crabtree and Danny Craig out there at this seven-story mansion that we rented out in Mexico. Boy, that was a hell of a trip. But anyways, we're out there and we're just getting really clear on the importance of profit as being connected to the ultimate outcome that people are wanting even more so than growth. That's the next step, the next progression in the mental clarity I had of what people needed. And it took me, the more hops I made, the clearer it was that it wasn't about the distant, it wasn't about the specific destination, but about the big picture deliverable, the outcome that I need to be committed to on behalf of my clients, in some cases, even more more so than they were. Start talking about profit and a lot opened up. Did a benchmarking study, worked with NARPM on the NARPM accounting standards, a bunch of crazy things opened up there. Circled back to sales and marketing with rent scale, met Jeremy Pound, saw an opportunity and realized that it may be possible to lean further into sales beyond just webinars, EDUs, um, scripts, dialogues, and a CRM. But there, may, there was an opportunity to actually own the growth outcome by building a operation inside of sales and marketing that to date for most companies didn't exist. So it was another opportunity to own the outcome. Now, did you get on this podcast to hear about me and my accolades? No. What you got on was to hear something that was going to be useful for you, dear listener. And here's how I would translate and map this to the PM company. Actually, indulge me in one more example that I know is going to resonate with you before we go there. The opposite of owning the outcome is blaming your clients. Let's say you're a marketing agency, for example and you sell marketing services, pretty, pretty easy to do, right? Broadly, uh, there's, there's, always, uh, there's always somebody that's willing to sign up for marketing services, SEO, pay-per-click, et cetera. Now, if you sign somebody up for a package and you don't deliver it, you can always blame the client. Oh, the client didn't listen. They're not holding up their end of the bargain. They're not, they're not closing the deals. They're not following the instructions. They're not recording the videos, whatever it may be. 
And as the customer, you can blame the marketing agency. Oh, I gave them my money and they didn't give me enough leads. That's why I'm not growing. You can blame somebody else in either case, or you can own the outcome. I, as the marketing agency, hey, it didn't work. You didn't get growth. Well, well, what's not working? What would need to happen? What conditions would need to be true either on my side or your side? I'm agnostic about it. I don't care if it's on my side or your side because I'm not focused on assigning blame. I'm focused on delivering the outcome. Now let's map that. And actually, and the same for the PM, right? The PM can say, if it's not working, it doesn't matter if it's the, it's the vendor. What can I, what can I learn here? What didn't work about the premise that I had about finding a vendor, paying them money, and getting an outcome? Was it that there wasn't enough metrics and KPIs in place? Was I not clear in what I was purchasing? That I lacked the ability to audit the quality of the service of what I paid for? Now, mapping this to PM, what do your clients pay you for? Is it inspections? Is it maintenance? You would think that. You would think that, that, that leasing a place tenant is what the client is paying you for. If you look at the, the branding and the positioning or the lack thereof of branding and positioning, and you see how most small businesses, but PMs in particular, communicate about what they do, you would reduce it very quickly down to a bullet point of functional and literal services because that's how most PMs advertise because there is no positioning idea or concept larger than that that they are connected with. Property management, by definition, it's inherent in the name. We basically prevent bad things from happening. Uh, it's management, right? We're managing. It's not proactive. We are managing to prevent something bad from happening. Where is the industry focus? It's on risk management, risk mitigation. And yes, there's a bunch of great reasons for that. But by the same token, we also have to acknowledge that what we are giving up is the opportunity to speak to something big, profound, like wealth creation through real estate. And if we're not focused on that, if we're not understanding that that is such a big and powerful motivator that either is the motivator or could be more clearly made to be the motivator for a large cross-section of our clients, we're missing out on a huge opportunity. But hey, I'm not here to put words in your mouth. It's your clients, not mine. So I ask you, what are your clients paying you for? What is the end state outcome that they are paying you for? And are you fully committed to facilitating that outcome? Come hell or, or come high water. Every time we blame the client, we have an opportunity to either get deeper embedded into understanding what would be required to actually deliver the outcome or to shirk responsibility. And there are times where blaming the outcome, blaming the client has some level of, of utility, at least in so much as it clarified that we shouldn't be working with that, that person. There, are, there is a category of client that we are not qualified to, to work with. And that's okay to acknowledge. That's actually really clarifying and really useful. There's a lot of power in that. I'm all about working with a small number of people and committing to the largest and most significant outcome. And I would submit that in your practice as a business owner, that same opportunity exists for you as well. So if you decide that the outcome that your, your clients have come to you for is peace of mind or wealth creation through real estate 
or multi-generational wealth, whatever it may be, how can you commit to owning that outcome? And where do you need to take more responsibility and more accountability on all sides of the table? A person that's really committed to owning the outcome doesn't care whose fault it is, but they are hell-bent on finding fault and finding problems that are solvable, either by the client or by them. You can call this uh, idiot-proofing. You can call this high-level customer service. You can call it whatever you want as long as you're actually committed to providing the outcome for the customer. When you meet somebody that is committed to owning the outcome, you know it. You can smell it. You can sense it. They're more deeply embedded in the problem. They understand the fine touch points. It feels more like they're working with a feather than a sledgehammer. There are smoother edges in what they're building. They've taken the time to put the luggage on the suitcase, understanding that the handle may be small, but it is the entire premise of carrying and moving the big bag hinges upon. So what is the hinge that the door in your business swings upon in terms of providing service and value? Because I'll tell you this much, what it's not is the functional and the literal of leasing and maintenance. I'm not telling you those things don't need to be good, functional, but what I am telling you is that that's table stakes. Table stakes is not interesting. Table stakes is about survival. Owning the outcome is about thriving by making a lateral move. They say it's lonely at the top. What they mean by that is that there's very few people that are committed to actually getting there. If you take radical ownership of the outcomes for your customers, you will be in slim company, breathing rarefied air, and the enjoyment factor, the fulfillment factor, the feedback loop from your customers saying, wow, I didn't, I didn't think somebody could care at that level or be that invested to ask that question or to proactively think about this thing that could go wrong or to respond this quickly or to respond that way with that tone of compassion that didn't come from being a chump. It didn't come from being a sucker. It came from being committed to owning the outcome. On my end, me, it's not, about, it's not about you. My values and how I behave are about me. It's not reactive. It's about what I am committed to and my beliefs. That's what owning the outcome looks like. Now, what are the arguments against this? Well, there's got to be some. There's got to be some compelling ones that inform why most folks don't do it and why most folks don't relate to business in this way. Here's a, the first one right out of the gate. It's, it's complicated. It's hard. It's unknown. It's a lot of work. Boy, you sure are going through a lot of trouble. What a hassle. I, I wouldn't do that. I'm not letting the customer run, run roughshod over me. And the truth is, it is more work. There's no doubt. So... I'm, I'm happy to concede that this is incompatible with running a low-budget, cost-cutting operation. If you're charging a 4% management fee, that's meaningfully going to hinder you from doing this, which segues into the fact that there is a massive connection between profit and this. You know, it's interesting. I had a conversation this last week, and it was a very familiar conversation to me. It was the conversation of the owner turned PM. 
more specifically the investor with a portfolio of 10, 15, 20 properties, they decided to scratch their own itch, couldn't find a good management company, so they decided to do it themselves. Guys, you've heard this story before, but what I find interesting is that when I meet this profile of person and I interact with them, pretty consistently, it's that investor first mentality that butts up against profitability. Profit's not there. They're primarily managing for investors, so it's lower income units. Um, and the overall revenue per unit is low, and therefore there's not a lot of margin. But when we have a discussion about what is the ratio of your income in terms of expressed in terms of base management fee versus ancillary fees, it's almost always skewed towards the management fee. And the management fee is almost lower than it, than it could be. The pushback is, ah, but you know what? I don't want to nickel and dime people, right? Uh, you know, I've been there. I'm, I'm working for people like me. I know the investor. You know, I never wanted to be nickel and dime, and I don't want to do that to people. And now, what's being done there is, is almost making like a quasi-pseudo-moral argument in favor of not making money. If, if you're into that, if, if you get your rocks off that way, I'm sure that's, that can provide some meaning and value and validation. But if you were actually committed to owning the outcome for your client, you would be compelled to concede that profit is necessary to provide quality service. And that, if you are sincere in owning the outcome, is all the moral conviction that you need to actually charge a leasing fee, to charge a maintenance markup fee, insert whatever fee. The fee doesn't matter. The point is, if you were actually committed to providing high quality service and owning the outcome for your client, you're going to get over this, this pseudo rationality that somehow thinks that there's something bad with making money or charging people fees. If you are actually committed to providing a high quality of service, then you're clear on the fact that you have to get paid and you're going to get over the fact that maybe you have to rework your PMA, right? No, generally speaking, some people get hung up on fees, but for the most part, people are okay with the ideas of fees intellectually. It's the implementation. It's the augmentation of the PMA. It's the conversation with the owner that might be awkward and maybe half my owners are going to fire me and whatever indulgent thought is wrapped up around that. That's where things go off of the rails. But it's a function of what you are committed to in relation to your client. And I submit to you that if you are committed to owning the outcome, you will be committed to getting paid and having the kind of margin that's not only necessary for you to stay in business, that's not only necessary for you to get paid well, to have a healthy lifestyle, a healthy work-life balance, a healthy support staff structure in your business, but the kind of margin that can allow you to actually engage in the creative act so that business is not a grind, so that you can do something higher order like sending out a handwritten letter. Because guess what? Postage uh, and the paper actually cost money. Stationery costs money, guys. Fun idea. Actually sending out the notes, there's cost involved in that. Responding, having a faster response time. Having emails that are written in proper English accurately and actually have some well uh, thought out tonality to them costs money. Having a person that gets on the phone and is conversant, does a great job answering questions, costs money. Doing all of those little one-off favors that seem like not a big thing 
but it's outside your scope of services. If you had a scope of services, I should say, if you actually took the time to write down what you do and do not do for that, for that management fee, you know you're doing some stuff that would fall outside of that scope of services. And there's cost assigned to it. So you can get nickel and dimed on that stuff, you yourself as the company owner, or you can charge for it. Not to nickel and dime the owner, but to ensure that you can provide a high quality of service. I digress, own the outcome, OTO. It's what I'm betting my career on. I hope it resonates with you guys. I hope it's something that can inspire and motivate you. This is a timeless idea. And that's what I am about. That is the level of conversation that I am interested in is timeless ideas. When we feel ourselves being drawn down the how path, I had this happen yesterday. You know, in full disclosure, I'll just just share this. I had a a fascinating moment yesterday being on a three-hour, four-hour set of mastermind calls discussing growth, but specifically talking about the sales function. So trying to avoid talking about marketing, parsing out marketing, there's a sales side, there's a marketing side. We tried to just have a conversation talking about sales and it was a real struggle because of how much infrastructure exists within most companies within the sales function. Generally speaking, it's almost non-existent. It's non-existent to the level that it's almost non-relatable. So when we try and talk about sales, we invariably there's this huge pull to go back to the safe haven of leads. Where where are you getting your leads from? Nothing to say about sales. Infrastructure on comp model, positioning, preparation, coaching, training for actually handling uh, objections. How do we present our value, unique value proposition, et cetera. That stuff doesn't exist. So in the absence of that, can we at least just get talking to back to where we're going to get the leads from? Give me more leads. When you feel that pull, So you talk about growth, this massively important existential either threat or enabler to your business, and you get pulled straight to pay-per-click, you know you have left own the outcome territory. When you get on the phone with a client and you're wanting to have a conversation about your core values, what you're committed to, and the outcome that you want to deliver, and the client wants to take you straight to your management fee or uh, a specific a specific nuance of how they want you to handle a specific process or the fact they want you to run every tenant by them for approval, you know you have left the ter- territory of own the outcome. So you have a decision to make. Do you relent? Do you yield? Do you cede that ground? And do you go where sometimes the client wants to take you? Or do you hold fast are you sufficiently invested in your own conviction and commitment to owning the outcome that you can believe in it and want it even more than the client does? And because of that, can make space and be able to, to hold and contain their confusion in order to speak to the big picture. Mr. Owner, that's great. I understand that you're wanting me to run every tenant by you, but the reality is, What I am committed to on your behalf is getting you the best quality tenant and avoiding any possible situation where you could find yourself in a fair housing dispute. That would would be unacceptable to me on behalf of you as my client. And I don't have clients that that is happening to, and I'm not willing to start with you by exposing you to that vulnerability and risk by allowing that to happen. Now, that's, that's one example. It doesn't matter what the example is. The point is, are you committed to owning the outcome? 
that's a wrap. I hope you guys have a great weekend on the outcome. You're going to be hearing about it more. This is the future. Talk soon.